So um, I'm just going to say before I start, some great readings again this morning. So take that bulletin home with you and just do a little bit of family reading through those and kind of try to find some common denominators that go through them. I'm going to connect some dots for you this morning, but there's a lot more dots to be connected. Having said that, good morning once again. One more time, I got three of you. Morning once again. Right, I'll praise you anywhere. You guys did that really good, by the way. Thank you so much for that. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So it turns out that this gentleman uh, was lost in the woods in Yellowstone National Park. And he's wandering around and he's a self-proclaimed atheist, but he said, even though I'm a self-proclaimed atheist, I'm going to pray to the God that people talk about and see what happens. And so a couple weeks later, he's telling his friends at a cocktail party about this, saying, you know, I was so lost, I prayed to the God of heaven that you guys talk about. And their friends were just aghast. They said, wow, you've been, you know, a self-proclaimed atheist for an awful long time, say that there is no God. Um, But they said, well, what happened when you prayed? And he said, well, you know, before your God had a chance to answer my prayer, some park ranger showed up out of the middle of nowhere and just led me off into safety. Thank you. You guys got the first service and get it quite as much. All right. So God answers our prayers sometimes in ways we don't expect, right? How often do we just pray something, move right along, and boom, it happened, and we just kind of forget that it even happened, like somehow we just deserve for that to happen to us, right? So that's where we're going this morning. Now, last week's message, we discovered how we can go boldly to the throne of the, uni- of the creator of the universe, go boldly to the throne of grace with, with freedom of speech, we said, with confidence. Today we're going to talk about the power of God that is at that throne of grace. When we go to that, the throne of grace boldly, when we go there boldly to the creator of the universe, what power is there waiting for us? And like I said, I'm going to put some nuggets in your, in your heads this morning or in your ears this morning that hopefully God will take and develop, especially if you go back and look at them later on today at some point. Just take that bulletin with you, take your Bible and hunt up those scriptures and just take a look at them. Because we're talking about the power of God, the power that is there at the throne of grace for us. For example, Jesus says it in John 10, 29 that I just read a moment ago. He says, for my father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else, right? Remember when you were a kid and you said, my dad can beat up your dad, right? We didn't really want to be in a part of that fight, but that's what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, my dad can beat up your dad, and no matter what you got coming, my dad can handle it. He is more powerful than anything here on this earth. That's the first nugget we should have in our head, that God is more powerful than anything here on this earth, than anything else that comes in his way. But that's not it. That's not done. Look at Isaiah 41.10 that Ellen read a second ago. Um, these are, this is God making some promises. When you see the words, I will, and God is saying it, I want you to think covenant, right? That's what something God is going to do for us. So these are promises of God. He says, I will strengthen you. And I will help you, right? And the rest of it is, I'll hold you up with my righteous right hand. That word strengthen, beautiful word in Hebrew. It means um, to um, make things um, more courageous, to make you more courageous. He's literally saying, I will alter you. I will change you. Not only give you that ability, he says, no, I'm going to change you into something more courageous, more brave, more stout, more bold, something more solid, right? That's a promise from God. So when we're talking about these things and we're looking at these things and we're praying these things, we can pray God's covenant promises back to him. God, you said you were going to strengthen me. You said you were going to help make me more courageous, more brave. I need that right now. You know, I need you to make me more stout, more bold, more solid, 
Right? He says, come boldly to the throne. He said, I'm going to make you bold to come to the throne. Because that's how bad I want that relationship. I'm going to do it for you. Now get out there and do it. Right? So God is more powerful than anything we can ever run into. And he's going to strengthen us and make us that way. Right? He's going to give us that power. And then Romans 8.31 might be the money verse. Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's kind of like if God is for us, then what else matters? Nothing else matters, right? God is there. He is more powerful than anything. I mean, do we need to go any further in this, right? This whole line that God is, is laying out for us. Now, today we celebrate Veterans Day, right? The veterans who have served in this country, have sacrificed for this country, and their families. I should always mention their families, too, right? We celebrate Veterans Day. Now, but I want to put a different spin on the word veteran. I want to talk about like a veteran for the Packers, or a sports person, you know, the veterans that have been around for a while, that just know more, that are a little more crafty, you know, they might not be as fast anymore, but, you know, look at Larry Bird towards the end of his career, right? Yeah, he wasn't fast anymore, but man, he could sure make things happen out there because he was crafty, because he knew what was going on. He had wisdom because of experience, right, by observation, right? But veterans are out there, you know, have you ever looked at the injury report for the Packers and see who practiced last week and who didn't practice last week? You know, somebody had limited practice because they had a, a sore knee or somebody had a sore ankle. And then sometimes it just says veterans rest. It's like these guys are a little older and they just need to take a little bit of a break and just be a little bit, uh, you get a break and take some time off. So being a veteran makes one crafty, makes one wise, right? What do they say to the rookies? Latch on to one of these veterans that's been around for eight or ten years and do whatever they do, right? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at some veteran ideas that are come straight out of this Bible, and then we're going to try to convince ourselves to do what they did, because that's God's promises, right? When we go out in real life. And today, I, like I said, I want to share with you one of, the, one of the best veteran moves you're going to find in the Bible, crafty veteran moves. This guy wasn't some dude just off the street. This guy was a king. You know, I talk about it all the time that sometimes in the Bible we see these, these characters just kind of pop on the scene, kind of like a one-act play. You know, they come on and, and they do their part and then they're gone. And we don't hear of them before that and we don't hear of them after that, right? They're just there for that one scene in the, in the Bible. Um, this guy that we're going to talk about this morning, he's a king. His name is Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Nice. Yeah, it's one of the fun names in the Bible, right? Him and Zerubbabel, right? Jehoshaphat was a king. Now, we get a lot of history on, on Jehoshaphat. We get a lot of history him, of him coming in. We get a lot of history um, going out of the moment that we're going to talk about. And you can see him in 2 Chronicles, starting in 20. Actually, go back to 1819 and start reading about who Jehoshaphat is. You can read about him a little later on, too. But I want to talk about the veteran move that Jehoshaphat pulled and what he did against all odds and how he handled the situation that was bigger than him. Now, we get times in life where things are much bigger than us. And then we sit and wonder what we're supposed to do about it. And we kind of bump around and we look around at different places. Jehoshaphat knew exactly what to do. Because he was following the veterans that had come before him. He followed the, the line of the people that, that came before him and did what they did. So let's take a look here. In 2 Chronicles, if you're taking notes, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is where I'm going to start. In verse 1, it says this. After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Amorites, and some of the Mennonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Okay, so there's the conflict. There's the problem, right? Um, 
the words after this, now again, we're in chapter 20. If you go back to 19 and 18, you see that, okay, he's the king of Judah. He's living in Jerusalem. This is after um, the, the kingdoms have split. So you have 10 tribes in the north in Israel, you have two tribes in the south in Judah. Okay, they are in, back in 19, chapter 19, 18 and 19, they were in an, a massive battle. Israel was in a lot of trouble, and Judah came to their aid. They didn't always work like that because they were kind of opposed against each other. But Judah said, no, we're going to come and we're going to help Israel get through this. The battle was so bad and so big and so devastating, actually the king of Israel got killed during that battle. Um, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, survived. Even though he was in his kingly robes and everybody knew that was the king, God brought him through that battle. But, so now they were fighting three armies at that time too, and that was on top of another battle what they'd been fighting right before that. So now at this point in chapter 20, they're devastated. Militarily speaking, um, economically speaking, they are down and out, and they need some time to recover. That's why these three cities have come, these three people have come to attack them right now. They're like... They're weak and they're ripe. Let's go get them because this is kind of our only chance to go get them. Because up until that point, Judah was stronger than the rest of them. So that's, chapter, or that's verse 1. Verse 2, um, the messengers come to Jehoshaphat and say, these guys are parked out there already and they're ready to come in. They are coming in at any minute and uh, we don't know what to do. So now verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. Okay, so quick translation here. Jehoshaphat was terrified. Translation was he freaked out. I mean, he was like, there's nothing we can do here, right? But what does he do? He does two things. He goes to the Lord for guidance, and he orders a fast, right? He orders a fast here for all the people saying, we're going to be serious about this, and we're going to try to figure this out, and we're going to go to God, but we want him to know that we're serious about this too. Verses 4 and 5 talk about how all the people of Judah came and met there in Jerusalem. All the people from Judah came and met there in Jerusalem. And then they stood in front of the temple. All these people standing in front of the temple, right? And then, here's what we are here to listen to, and here's what we are here to learn, and here's what we're supposed to take out the door with us. The actions that Jehoshaphat took here, what he did, how he did it, where he did it, right? Let's look at verse 6. Now, he says this. Um, now, Jehoshaphat prays the prayer of all time. He, Jehoshaphat, prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said in John 29, right? My God is more powerful than anything. My dad can beat up your dad, right? Whatever's happening, Jehoshaphat says, you can handle it. You're bigger than that. We know that. How do we know that? You're the God of our ancestors. We've seen it happen. We know who you are. We know what you can do. Verse 7 and 8. I'm going to come back to this in a second, but I just want to paraphrase it a little bit. Jehoshaphat says, okay, so Jehoshaphat says, you told us, God, you told us not to conquer everybody in, in the land. So when, when the Israelites went into the promised land. God didn't just open the gate of the promised land and say, okay, it's all yours now. There are people living there. And he said, We're not gonna, I'm not going to give you all of it at once because if I do that, you don't have enough people to occupy all these cities. So if we knock all the people out of this city and we don't move in for 15 years, trees are going to start growing through the houses, the wild animals are going to start coming in, right? So he said, we're just going to leave some of these cities alone. We're just going to leave them there. And so, um, but he said, also he said, I want you to build the temple here. That's what God told his people. So I'm going to tell you where to go and I'm going to tell you where not to go and we're going to build the temple here. Right? 
And so now um, Jehoshaphat talks about our ancestors here. He says, our ancestors told us that when there's calamity, when there's things going on, we can stand here in front of this temple and pray. This is verse 9. Our ancestors, they, our ancestors said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple, right where we're standing, Jehoshaphat is saying, where your name is honored, where God's name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us. You will hear us and you will rescue us. Jehoshaphat is praying covenant promises back to God. He's not making this stuff up. He's saying, God, this is who you said you are. This is who our ancestors have experienced you being. That's what I'm praying back to you. I'm praying back your covenant promises back to him. This is the definition of coming to the throne of grace uh, with boldness, freedom of speech, and with confidence. Jehoshaphat knows you can do this whenever we're faced with calamity, right? Not if we're faced with calamity. When we're faced with calamity, we can come to you because you're bigger than anything, war, plague, famine, calamity, anything that comes down the pipe, you're bigger than that, and you can handle that. And you will handle that. So again, Jehoshaphat reminds them about their history, about God's history, God's people, right? and where they are, how they got there. I said earlier that God didn't give them the entire promised land at once, right? Wild animals, things would reclaim it, is exactly how scripture says it. But then Jehoshaphat does this. Talk about coming boldly to the throne of grace. He says, God, you told us to avoid these tribes, these people. And now they're the very ones that are standing outside the gate ready to decimate us. We're down and out. Our army is decimated. We, we don't stand a chance. And those people you told us to leave alone are coming here to attack your people, your land, your temple. Here they are to attack us. So verse 12, then, Jehoshaphat says, Oh, our God, won't you stop them? <clears throat> we are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. And then he's just being honest. We don't know what to do. But we're looking to you for help. Uh, seems a lifetime ago, I wrote a paper on this very verse. I want to share some of that with you this morning because sometimes we feel like that. We're powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We'll say that sentence and then kind of full stop right there. But the craziest part about this verse and the craziest part about this is those words that we got highlighted there. We are powerless are almost untranslatable. Not because we can't put it from one language to another, but I tell you all the time, it's difficult to put something from one language to another. It's really difficult for us to translate because those words, we are powerless, kind of don't exist in the Hebrew language. Because the truth is, we are not powerless. If God is for us, stop. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. 
My dad is bigger than your dad. So when we look at that and say we're powerless, it's really hard for us to actually put those words onto a piece of paper. Because God is more powerful than that. And when God is on our side and when we are on God's side, end of story. Whatever that calamity is, whatever's going on. And then, like I said, he's just being honest here. And how many times are you actually honest with God when you're praying to him? Would you actually pray those words, we don't know what to do? Or do we try to figure it out for him? I don't want a park ranger. I want a, I want a trail. I want a map. I want a helicopter. I, we'll get this for you, God. We'll take care of it for you. Right? He says, we don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Our eyes are on you. God, reckon, God compares us to um, his sheep, and he is our shepherd. Right? He is our shepherd. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that brings us to safety. When sheep are out in the wilderness with their shepherd, and, and there's a storm, there's lightning and thunder, the sheep don't look at the storm. The sheep look to the shepherd. Right? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Sheep, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Because why? Because we know that you're going to bring us to safety, and we know that you have our best interest in mind. Jehoshaphat is basically singing to God here. We don't know what to do, but we have our eyes fixed on you. Let us know what you think. Let us know what we're supposed to do. Again, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20, the model prayer of all time. He's not buttering God up there at the beginning. He's saying, I know who you are. And you know that I know who you are. And I know that you know that I know who you are. You're the God of the universe. You created all of this. You're bigger than anything that's going to come down the pipe. And now I got a huge problem right outside the gate. We don't know what to do. So they praise that prayer. All of Judah is what it says. All of Judah is standing there. Jehoshaphat doesn't say amen. He gets to the end of that prayer. We're looking to you for help. And then everybody just stands there. Complete silence. Wondering what's going to happen next. And they waited. It's your move, God. What's going to happen? And they stood there and they waited. They're like, that's all we got, God. I know it's not much. Okay, I know it's not anything. But that's what we got. Your move. We'll wait. Right here. Whenever you're ready. And then God got ready. Talk about bold with confidence, right? God then answers through this guy named Yahaziel. Yahaziel is a Levite, which means he's in the priest standings. He's a Levite. Yahazil means beheld by God. That's what his name means, beheld by God. So in verse 15 is where it comes out. Yahazil says this. 
Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Remember, we've been standing here quiet for a while. We don't know what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, this dude starts talking. Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Look what he says first. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Right? For I am with you. Right? Don't be discouraged. This should sound like Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours. The battle is God's. These are my people. This is my land. I'm going to take care of this. Now, just like that story with the hiker, we might not always recognize how God acts and how God moves and what God does. Now, remember, all they have to do now is that uh, what, what the story goes like this. Here, let's, um, he says, don't be discouraged. The battle is not yours. The battle is God. I should have the next verse in here, but I don't. It says, um, just go out there and watch. Just go out there and see what happens. Right? Now, God said to, um, he said to, um, Joshua, several times, when they were going in to take the promised land, he said, the battle is already won. Now get out there and win the battle. And Joshua was like, okay, I got this, right? So that's probably what Jehoshaphat is thinking, right? He's probably thinking, God's going to make our sword sharper. He's going to make our our shield stronger. He's going to make us quicker. He's going to, you know, make them weaker. And we're going to go and we're going to win this battle. But he says, tomorrow, march out against them, Right? Tomorrow, come out and march against them. But he said, the only thing you've got to do is just watch. You don't have to do a thing here. Let's go to 20, Jared. Um, Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen, all of you people, right? They're marching out there, and Jehoshaphat says, okay, time out. Everybody just stop for a second, right? Then he reminds them why we're here. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. He still thinks he's going to battle. You're going to be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Right? We're going to go and we're going to take care of this. Believe it, believe it, believe it. Now Jehoshaphat is really feeling it. I mean, he has got some confidence here. Let's look at verse 21, how he decides where we're going to go into this. After consulting the people, the king, after instructing basically the people of that, you know, stand firm, believe, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. That's straight out of Psalm 136. Right? Where are my army people here? How many of you would put the uh, singers out in front to lead the charge? Right? You know, I was a bass player in the military, right? So I would put the bass player out front. Say, oh, go on, get on, right? So uh, before I get on to... Um, What's happening here, how this whole thing goes down? I want to just tell you a personal story. Because sometimes we read these things in the Bible and we think that's impossible, that wouldn't happen like that. But real life mimics what happens in the Bible, right? So um, when I was in the Army, I was in the Army for five years and I wised up and went to the Air Force. Okay. While I was in the Army, um, I had to go to these classes. You got to go to these classes to get promotion, to get promoted. I went to a class called PLDC, Primary Leadership Development Course. Got to do a lot of different things in that course. It's only a couple weeks, but um, one of the things we had to do was go on an assault, right? So they split you up. I was in Squad 12. We were teamed up with Squad 13, and we had to go and attack Squad 11 and Squad 10. All right, so now that's the assault that we got to go on. 
and they tried to put the person with the least amount of experience in charge of the assault. Well, guess who's got the least amount of experience? The bass player, right? So put the bass player in charge of this assault. I mean, what could possibly go wrong, right? So the first thing we had to do is we had to go out and find squad 10 and 11, and we did. Um, okay, back up a second here. In my squad, I had one guy who was an army ranger. This guy knows what he's doing. I had another guy who was with special forces. This guy knows what he's doing. They are now my best friends, right? Okay, so now we go out and we scout this thing out. We find squad 10 and 11. They're down in some pine trees, kind of in a triangle. And um, I said, okay, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to send squad 13 around to the back, and they're just going to start laying a base of fire and get their attention, and then we're going to attack from the front, be a piece of cake, we'll be home for supper, right? And the bass player came up with that plan, by the way, right? What could possibly go wrong, right? Okay, so what did go wrong is it's now it's pitch black. We're in the middle of nowhere, Texas. It is pitch black outside. So much we had to go through a little bit of a woods, and you couldn't see a limb this close to your face. You know, you're walking into these things. And so here we are, and now we, we get to this road where we're going to wait, and we're going to send squad 13 around to the back, wait till they start shooting, we're going to go in. Again, this will be a piece of cake, right? So here we are. We wait about 15 minutes for squad 13 to get around to the back, and, I, and now the, uh, the ranger has the radio. And I said, all right, let's see if we can raise them on the radio. And we can't get them, we can't get them, we can't get them. This is really weird. I wonder why they're not answering. Well, while we're doing that, all of a sudden we hear this marching coming down the road, right? Squad 11 and 12 have sent out reconnaissance. And I'm thinking, we're going to change the plan because we're going to wipe out half of them right here. And then we'll just go and change the plan around. We'll, we'll lay the base of fire. They can attack from the back. This will be easy. Okay. So um, the special forces guy said, just wait until you yell fire, because we want to make sure that they're all in line, right? So I'm, we're lined up here, I just waited. He tapped my shoulder, I yelled, fire, and we just lit them up. We got those little um, mouse gear, they call it. It's a laser tag kind of thing, so everybody up on the road is going, hee, because they just got shot, right? We wiped them all out. And before I could yell, cease fire, somebody up on the road yelled, cease fire. And I was like, well, that's weird. And then he said, squad 12, cease fire. And I'm thinking, the only People that know that we're squad 12 is squad 13. Squad 13 somehow did an end around, went through a swamp, came up in record time, up on the road over here, walked out, and we wiped out our entire squad 13 that were supposed to be our teammates, right? The end of the story is later about how we tried to continue on with the assault, but well, let's get back to Jehoshaphat, right? So Jehoshaphat puts the singers out in front instead of the bass player out in front uh, for obvious reasons, right? So verse 22 says this. The moment they started singing praises to God, God started acting. The moment they started singing praises to God, God started acting. God started moving. While they were still on their way to the battlefield, God went to work. And what he did is he caused those three armies to get confused and to attack each other and wipe each other out. Now, you might look at that and say that's impossible until you hear the story about the bass player wiping out an entire squadron in like two seconds flat, right? Verse 24 says it straight up. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw, now they thought they were going to battle. Right? They thought they were going into this battle, or at least going to have to watch this battle and figure it out, right? But all they saw were dead bodies laying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of that army had escaped. Just like Squad 13. Not a single one had escaped. They didn't do a thing. All they did, right, was ask God to handle it for them, 
And then they started praising God for what he hadn't even done yet. And God took care of the rest. All they had to do was gather up the plunder, and it took them three days to gather it all up. On the fourth day, they got together and they praised the creator of the universe, praised him and thanked him for what he had done. So my question for you this morning is this. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I mean, that's the church answer, and that's the Sunday school answer, right? What do you do when you don't know? Are you like that atheist in Yellowstone that would at least give it a shot? Even though he didn't recognize the results, what do you do when you don't know what to do? My prayer for you is this. Take a page out of somebody else's playbook, out of Jehoshaphat's playbook. Make a veteran move. Jehoshaphat did those things because he had seen people in the past do these things. That's what he was taught. That's what he knew what to do, how he knew what to do. So let your dilemma drive you to, to prayer and to praise. And then just like God says, or like Jehoshaphat says, take your eyes off of what you don't know and put your eyes on God. Turn your eyes to God. Who does know what to do. God does know what to do, and he will do it for you if you give him a chance. And then, like I said, recognize what he's doing. Recognize how he moves, how he works in our world today. Even if it's through a shoebox, how he works in our world today. So we talk about going to the throne of the creator. But what we really have to remember is how he, the creator, stepped down from that throne, came down to this earth, and fought the ultimate battle for us. The battle against sin, death, the power of the devil, came out victorious so that we can be victorious in it. So when we don't know what to do, we're going to turn our eyes to you. We don't know what to do. We turn our eyes to you and let him fight that battle. What did he tell them? Battle's not yours. I'm going to take care of this. This is bigger than you. You can't handle it. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Would you please stand with me? So, Heavenly Father,